Blog Talk Radio. edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, Objectivism. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and here's what I would like to discuss with you today. First, the latest on Benghazi, what we learned during Wednesday's hearings, the mainstream media finally jumping on the bandwagon, sort of, and the White House appearing to be scrambling to cover themselves. Then we have a story that just broke about the IRS. We learned that last year the IRS targeted so-called Tea Party and Patriot groups for special scrutiny. So this raises the question, this is kind of the big question I want to ask you today, which is worse, our State Department scapegoating and imprisoning a filmmaker who criticizes Islam, you know, to cover up what they didn't do in Benghazi, or the IRS targeting Tea Party and Patriot groups for special scrutiny and investigation. And we've got other things to discuss uh, as well if there's time. I want you to just chime in on these topics, 760-888-5817. Again, the number is 760-888-5817. Or you can also chime in in the chat room. And I see some people are already joining me there Now, let's see in the chat room. We've got Robert of New York City says, failure in foreign policy and failure in domestic policy. Total failure. Yes, both of them. And the one thing I'm going to ask you, uh, Robert, is which is worse? And I know that they're both bad, and we'll talk about why they're both bad. But just think about that, which is worse, because I'm going to want you to give me an answer to that later. Remember, if you do call in at 760-888-5817 to indicate that you have a question for me, a little question icon. I do have someone on hold right now, but I'm not sure if that person is just wanting to listen or does want to ask a question. I think you have to indicate by clicking a little icon there on Blog Talk Radio. So welcome, everyone. People in the chat room are asking, is this the new time? Yes, it is the new day. I guess it's the same time of day, but it's the new day. And again, the reason that we are now airing on Friday is because I'm pretty excited that Liberty Express Radio, which is an online streaming radio station for free market type hosts, is including Don't Let It Go Unheard in its weekend lineup. And I want to give them a fresher show, a show that wasn't from a week ago, which is what it would be if I kept it late on Sunday. So that's what we're doing. We're trying this out. And you'll have to let me know how you think it goes at this new day and time. I'm glad that you are here joining me, people in the chat room. Hello, hello. So let's go ahead and dive in. First, we had the whistleblower hearing on Wednesday, and last week we talked about it, and we talked about the importance of honesty in general and and particularly with respect to our leaders, our commander-in-chief, and I anticipated that we might learn quite a few things that were important at the hearing, and it it seems that we have learned some things um, 
you know, one thing that, and I got this one story off PJ Media, which I found helpful, which was called Seven Things We Learned from the Benghazi Whistleblower Hearing, and it was written by Brian Preston over at PJ Media, published on the 8th. And uh, what he did say is that he thought that the Republicans actually mishandled the whistleblower's hearing by trying to cram it all in one day, basically making it one long hearing so that people had to digest too much information at once and that a lot of important information would get lost in the overwhelm, so to speak. And I, and I think that's pretty much right, although it's nice that we do have the Internet blog media out there to keep track of it, and there were a lot of people tweeting things as they went along, so I think people were keeping track of it, but seven things we learned here, actually it was really six, but one of them was that Republicans don't know how to handle hearings like this. Uh, apparently, Republicans also don't know how to handle Hillary Clinton, because I just heard from Bosch Faustin today, actually Bosch Faustin, is, uh, he's a cartoonist, you may know him if you are a regular listener to the show, he's actually sitting here in the in the studio with me today, but he told me earlier today that he heard that Hillary Clinton, when she gave that famous what difference does it make testimony uh, about Benghazi, that she was not under oath. I don't know how in the world it happens that they get Hillary Clinton to testify in front of Congress, and she's not made to testify under oath. That was part of the, part of the deal, probably. Some kind of deal, Bosch thinks. I, I don't know. Uh, first of all, this whole thing of, oh, you have to be under oath because then you'll really tell the truth. That's a bunch of garbage. Uh, I refer you to my discussion last week on last week's Don't Let It Go Unheard for the idea of a National Honesty Day as giving rise to this new need to be honest suddenly. You know, what is it about being under oath? It's like, oh, now I'm under oath, so I really better be honest. You need to be honest all the time, everyone, and especially people who are in offices and positions of power where their job is to keep Americans safe, and you're telling me that Oh well, if they're not under oath, and then really they're not going to have to tell the truth. This is this is disgusting and revulsifying. But let's go back to the seven things we learned from the hearing. Really, like I said, six things except for uh, the fact that Republicans can't handle hearings. First, there were multiple stand down orders, not just one order. So first of all, the idea that there is a stand down order telling our forces to stand down and not go save Americans who are under attack in Libya is disgusting. But there was not just one stand-down order, but multiple stand-down orders. Second, which I think is uh, pretty revulsifying here, is that Ambassador Stevens' reason for going to Benghazi in the first place seems to be to fulfill a wish of Hillary Clinton and her wish, which she put above all the facts of reality, her wish was to make the post in Benghazi permanent and therefore use that permanent post as a symbol of goodwill to Libya. Stevens himself apparently was committed to the goal. He was there on 9-11 furthering Clinton's goal. But at the same time, she puts him there as this way to, you know, make this symbol of goodwill, but puts him there without adequate security. And uh, says Brian Preston here in the article on PJ Media that Hillary Clinton, quote, 
put political perceptions ahead of the facts on the ground in Benghazi, end quote. Putting an I wish before an it is, Hillary Clinton, our Secretary of State. Third, more about Clinton. She was briefed at 2 a.m. on the night of the attack and was never told that a movie had anything to do with the attack by those on the ground in Libya, yet she blamed the movie anyway. And she blamed it multiple times. Okay? She blamed it in press conference. She blamed it while standing before the coffins of the slain Americans on September 14th. Also, during the attack, Clinton told Hicks, who was one of the whistleblower uh, State Department people, uh, that there would be no help on the way to relieve the Americans under the assault in Benghazi. So she has her wish to make her little symbol of goodwill. She doesn't provide them adequate security. And when it blows up in her face, she blames a video that had nothing to do with it. She was never briefed that it had anything to do with it. Uh, Number four, the whistleblowers were intimidated into silence. If you remember last week, I parsed Jay Carney's statement that he made during a press conference in which he said, quote, we are unaware of any agency blocking an employee who would like to appear before Congress to provide information related to Benghazi, end quote. We are unaware, i.e., we told people not to tell us about it, of any agency blocking an employee. Okay, it wasn't an agency, it was somebody else who would like to appear before Congress, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, here in the article on PJ Media by Brian Preston, uh, he talk, uh, He talks about Hicks testifying to a pattern of behavior that led to the conclusion that many officials within the State Department wanted him to remain silent. Uh, on the night of the attack, he was personally commended by both Clinton and Barack Obama. But later, when he questioned why Rice blamed the YouTube movie, then they started saying that, oh, we don't know if we like his management style uh, and no one at the State Department should want you on their team in the field, etc. He was demoted to a desk job after having been a deputy to Ambassador Stevens, and now he's still at this desk job. Uh, He also testified that the Accountability Review Board, which was convened by Clinton, allegedly to determine all the facts about the attack, never had stenographers in the room during his two-hour interview. Nordstrom, who testified Wednesday and had testified before Congress before, concurred on this. No stenographer for Hicks' testimony. Hicks was a deputy to Ambassador Stevens. No stenographer during his testimony. Um, Then there were other people who were not even allowed to testify before the ARB, despite having direct knowledge of the attacks, um, etc. So there was a bunch of cover-up that was going on there, and there was intimidation, even though they weren't blocked, right? Remember the language from Carney was that they weren't blocked, but they uh, were intimidated. The YouTube movie... We are told, number five, this is number five, the YouTube movie was a non-event in Libya. And then, in fact, when they blamed the video, this video that didn't have anything to do with the attack, those that blaming of the video 
had strongly adverse real-world effects. And according to Hicks, again, he was the deputy to Stevens, it humiliated Libya's president. Libya's president had apparently correctly stated that Benghazi was a terrorist attack. So here we are. Supposedly, you're trying to put this post there as a symbol of goodwill to Libya. And you turn around and humiliate Libya's president by directly contradicting that president's version of who was behind the terrorist attack. And moreover, you contradict it with a lie. I mean, obviously, if you contradicted the story of Libya's president with something that was true, okay, fine, maybe just deliver the truth in some sort of diplomatic fashion. But you certainly shouldn't, if you're trying to get some goodwill from people in Libya, you shouldn't humiliate the president by telling some sort of lie to cover up your own inadequacies, which is what they did, apparently. Um, the other thing that we learn in this talking point, or this uh, point number five from the Preston piece on PJ Media, is that Susan Rice on September 12th claimed in an email that the FBI investigation into the attack was already underway, but it actually didn't get underway until five days later. So these people have no problem with untruths and I guess you do have to get them under oath uh, in order to get them to actually tell the truth and it's not because they're actually interested in telling the truth it's just because if they get caught and it's under oath then there's all kinds of consequences I guess that's the only thing that can scare these people number six uh, Democrats were uninterested in getting at most of the facts but were very interested in destroying Mark Thompson. Mark Thompson was part of the foreign emergency support team, and he testified that his section had been cut out of decision-making during the attack. And the Democrats spent their whole time, I guess, trying to get him to contradict himself or attack his boss because his boss actually claimed the opposite. So they were all, you know, focused on that or making irrelevant speeches there was something like uh, one congressman, I guess, testified or not didn't testify. One congressman just, I guess, used up time during the hearing to say something like death is part of life. And so therefore life is part of death. Uh, yeah. Craziness. So um, th those are the six things that we learned about the attack. Democrats didn't even want to get the facts. Now I have a caller. I'm going to go ahead and say hello. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is uh, Rocco. Hi, Rocco. Uh, so did you watch any of the testimony on Wednesday? Actually, I listened to the uh, about four and a half hours of it on my uh, phone. Wow. Uh, with, headset, with headsets on. And so I got an interesting perspective because I could just focus just on what they were saying because I later learned uh, that the Democrats were just sneering and rolling their eyes and, and you know, um, but you know, I really, I really feel that, uh, you know, I'm I'm old enough to remember the Watergate, mm -hmm. and it took actually two years before for the first um, facts about Watergate came out before they actually um, before Nixon resigned. So what we have to do is be patient with this. But I okay. think the biggest thing today that has come out is that. Um, Mitt Romney has been totally vindicated. Because right. Because when this, this thing first broke, he stepped up and he called it for what it was. And right. instead of the liberal media um, 
going after the story and talking about the story, they talked about Mitt Romney and just how inappropriate it was. Yeah. And, and so, you know, to me, I would feel vindicated if I was Mitt Romney today. Although I don't need the media to vindicate me, but, um, you know, this really is starting to steamroll, I think. Well, I mean, here's a question. What do you think would have happened if Candy Crowley, during that last debate, hadn't covered for Obama and instead had, at that point in time, been truthful and, and vindicated Romney? Uh, I think I think it would have, that was in a second debate, right? I'm trying I, to remember I, what I, I I just remember that yeah. I, I think I think it was the last debate that they had. Yeah, well, I think it was the second debate because they were standing up. The last debate they were sitting down, I believe. Okay. I think the second debate and what Candy Crowley did affected Mitt Romney's performance in the last debate because I kept waiting for Mitt Romney to go after Benghazi and bring it up, bring it up, and there was plenty of openings and he didn't do it, and that's that's a mistake he made. But I think Candy Crowley and, you know, everything that went on around that affected his performance in the third debate. Now, Robert NYC in the chat room says that he thinks this was a third debate, which was a foreign policy debate. Right. W- with Candy Crowley? That's what I think. Because I, it, it seems that if it had been the last debate, or actually if it had been the, the second to last debate, then Romney could have tried to vindicate himself in the last debate and shown how Crowley basically was covering for Obama. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I, I, thought, I thought that was just disgusting that she basically, you know, during that entire debate, and see, she controlled it, right? She controlled who was allowed to talk and when, and she right. basically finessed it so that Romney was not able to contradict well, her. I was actually tweeting during the middle of that, and immediately, not 10 to 15, 20 seconds after Candy Crowley did what she did, it was an immediate link to calling her out for the lie that she just had told. You know, it was just really incredible. And sure. so I, I just think that, you know, that like today, tonight, I will watch uh, CNN, MSNBC, and just to watch them squirm and watch their face sweat because, you know, they're now actually, you know, calling out Jay Carney and putting questions to him that should have been put, you know, months ago. Oh, and definitely. So, definitely. I mean, but what what but what do you, what do you think about Carney? I mean, you know, this this statement of his before did you watch uh, the press conference that I was referring to when he made that statement about we are unaware of any agency blocking an employee, blah, blah, blah? Uh, no, I don't think I watched that news conference. He was actually reading that statement off of a piece of paper. You could see his right. eyes moving down to a page. And so you know that at that point in time he knew that they were going to start getting caught in some of this. Um, well, I think really the, the person listening to the uh, hearings like I did. I think that the two people that really uh, their stock really rose because people were yielding time to them was Jason Chaffetz and Frank Gowdy. And 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 the other thing I noticed when I got home is looking at the replays. Um, one of the of the victims' fathers was sitting right behind um, 
one of the witnesses. I don't like to call them whistleblowers because they're witnesses. Right. Because the one man was actually a witness to things that were going on. To call him a whistleblower is one thing. But I think what's going to happen going forward now is little by little by little, you're going to see one uh, witness after another coming forward little by little. And the same thing with, uh, with, with Watergate. It was a phone call in the middle of the night that they had the, you know, they had this information. Well, I mean, if anything, you would think this is worse than Watergate because of the people dying. The people dying. You know, our government not doing its job number one, which is to protect Americans. Our government, its first job, its primary job, the job that it gets distracted from way too much of the time, is to protect the lives of Americans. And it failed totally in and that the, task. And the, and the reason they did it is just so disgusting to and the reason they covered it up and lied about it was, wait a minute, I'm in the middle of an election. I have been bragging about getting rid of al-Qaeda now for the whole year. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I cannot say that al-Qaeda has now attacked us. Now, now al-Sharia is, is, is an arm of al-Qaeda. Right, that, right. That, to me, I can't, I can't, if I was one of the victim's families, I cannot sleep at night thinking that that was the reason that Hillary Clinton looked me right in the face and said, we're going to get the person that put out this video. Right. And what and what about Clinton, him? What about him? He's still in jail. Right. What about he, he, interesting thing is, he's never been even granted bond, never even offered bond, but the guy who kept three girls in uh in his basement and his attic in his garage for over ten years was granted an eight eight million dollar won't get that but the guy who did a YouTube video has never right. even gotten an offer of bond no bond was I, available. I, I, I'm not I'm not sure if he would actually want a bond now. This guy's going to have to go under some protected witness program or who knows what in order to stay alive because exactly right. our, but, but, our you know our, but, our our government's outed him. But but Hillary Clinton stood over four dead Americans. Yep. Stood there at an Air Force base and knowing knowing that the lie was coming out of her mouth there and told a lie, right, right. That that this was based on a a, a, a terrible YouTube video, and we're going to get the guy who did this. Right now, he knew it was a lie at that moment. Now, Rocco, I was going to pursue a, a one other thing because you had said the purpose of this kind of cover up and everything is because they want to vindicate. Obama's idea that he had decimated al-Qaeda, et cetera. And I agree it was partly that. But there was another element to it, and I just thought about this the other day, and and, uh, someone named John David who commented on my page on Facebook, the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook, had the same exact thoughts. So I think, you know, great minds think alike. But but here's the idea. Um, If the attack was spontaneous, if it was brought about by some video that, you know, this kind of thing never hardly ever happens, it was, you know, just the spontaneous fluke of a thing, then Hillary Clinton can't be blamed for not doing her job, right? Uh, But if instead it was because of a threat that existed there 
for months and months and months, and they kept asking for security and it kept being denied, et cetera, which is what is all coming out now, then they can be blamed. So the whole idea is to make it something that's spontaneous due to something that, of course, as she kept saying, you know, they had nothing to do. We had nothing to do with it. So if you can get off the idea that it's spontaneous, that they had nothing to do with it, then she just can't be blamed for not doing her job. And then later when it's shown that she probably didn't do her job, then she just says, oh, well, what difference does it make now? Because after all, they're, you know, they're already dead, which reminds me of something out of Atlas Shrugged. I don't know. Have you ever read Atlas Shrugged, Rocco? You're a first I've read time some of it and I watched uh, two of the, the first yeah. part of the, the movie. So, so. Some, some of the characters in there, they like to say, well, you know, that's already done, so what's the use in blaming people now? Now we just have to deal with the situation the way it is. And, you know, Hillary Clinton kept saying, let's focus on things going forward from here and make sure something like this never happens again. She doesn't want to be blamed or held accountable for what happened in the past. And I think that introduction of the language, you know, that when you see the different edits that those talking points went through, one of them was the introduction of this idea of spontaneity, spontaneous. If it's spontaneous, if it's sui generis, if it's, you know, due to this video, the likes of which hardly ever appears on YouTube, then, oh, you can't blame us, you know. Well, the, the the question that 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 is still yet to be asked. I mean, they're asking today. The, the press conference was focused solely on the cosmetic changes and, and the little small changes that Carney said that they made to the talking points. Right. The one question that nobody has stood up and asked was for seven hours. Where was Barack Obama? Oh yeah. Where <laughs> was he? Because I'll tell you, because. I didn't. I didn't see this movie, but I've heard all about it. The Michael Moore movie. He spent the first few minutes of that movie focused on the seven, eight, however many minutes George W. Bush sat there reading a story to the kids on 9/11. Yeah, sitting there in shock. Uh huh. Sitting there reading. He looked like they expected him to jump up, run out of the room like his hair was on fire. But they focused on that seven, eight, ten minutes, however long he sat there. But yet we got seven hours that Barack Obama was totally off the grid, totally unaccounted for, and nobody is standing up and saying, where was he? I know what he was doing. He was he was getting his beauty sleep so that he could go to Las Vegas for his star-studded fundraiser the next day. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so if you get confronted with that, and that fact comes out that, wait a minute, I wasn't doing my job, and I'm unapproachable. I went to bed, and you cannot wake me up. Although American sovereign territory is being attacked, you can't wake me up. That That's their election of duty. Yeah, and, and somebody, and somebody told them to stand down. It had to come from one source. So there's only one source that could... Send the troops into action, and one troop that can, one source can stop them, and that had to be Barack Obama. Yeah, ultimately, ultimately, what time did he send out that order? What time? Where were you? What were you doing? Yep. And that those things will, you know, this is going to take time. This is, you know, you have a select committee. And 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 I think when, when all this all will come down, it will come down like on a Friday, and it will happen really quickly. 
Well, Rocco, I mean, you know, a lot of people are very pessimistic about this ever amounting to anything in terms of toppling the administration. But you think that little bit by little bit things will come out and it could eventually topple Obama? Yes, I, I do because okay. of the of the simplistic nature of he was derelict in his duties. And he or somebody over – he is in charge of – actually lied and actually yeah. led to uh, now I know during 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 the uh, the testimony the other day you probably couldn't have saved uh Christopher Stevens and and the guy who he was with you probably could not have saved them because they were side by side and they got killed at the same time but you definitely could have saved the other two Ty Woods and Doherty you could have saved their life because they were killed Toward the end, right? They were killed in the fifth, maybe maybe sixth hour of this. And you know, to say, well, we didn't know, uh, we, you couldn't get there, you couldn't get help there in time. Well, how did you know how long it was going to last? How did you know, you know, if, if this was over, if this was the beginning, the middle? Well, and not and, not to not to mention just going there to secure the scene itself. Right. Right. And, and the other big thing to me to, to me was. By Hillary Clinton standing up there and, and blaming a YouTube video and blaming it on that. When exactly. President Olivia told them this is this is Al Sharia yeah. who did this. Yeah, exactly. They told, he told them and they stood up and lied about it. Yep. They were not allowed to get to a crime scene for not eighteen or nineteen days. And I like the question that came forward. You know, the guy said, "I'm not a CSI guy, but does a crime scene get better or worse over time?" Of course, of course. Worse. And they were yeah. allowed to trample through there and walk through there and loot the place and get whatever they want. Yeah, and it, I have a feeling that that was done on purpose as well. Because, so, well, we weren't allowed to get uh, the forensic evidence that we need. So, you know, they were, you know, that was yeah. that was set up as well. Exactly. So, no, and and I, I I think you're right. The whole the whole point here, Hillary Clinton had her little vision in her mind of a permanent post in Benghazi that was going to create goodwill. And she wanted to put it in there in defiance of all the facts about what, you know, what the security situation was on the ground. She didn't want to add all this extra heavy security, probably in part because it would offend the Libyans, right? So kept, you know, repeatedly denying those requests. And so what she did you know, and obviously the buck should not just stop with her. But I, you know, I think some people definitely believe that she's going to be thrown under the bus and that Barack Obama is going to be saved. But our government, and I think the accountability should go all the way up to Obama himself. Our government defaulted on its job number one, which is protecting right. Americans, and then it right. lied. It lied. It lied to cover up this fact. Thank you for calling in, Rocco. I Thank do hope you. that you'll be a, a regular listener and, and call in I again. I appreciate it. Enjoy your show. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now, one thing that we are seeing is that the mainstream media is starting to get in on the game. An ABC story this week, they put it as an exclusive, but really what you could say is it's an exclusive extension of the story that was broken in the Weekly Standard last week. But they're showing 12 different edits of the Talking Points memo that was out there. But note, if you go look at that ABC story at abcnews.com on a blog there or something, I can't remember exactly the, the URL, 
ABC mentions nothing about the scapegoating of the filmmaker Nakula, who is still sitting in prison, whose film was on YouTube, criticized Islam, and had nothing to do with the attacks in Benghazi. Uh, Our State Department, our UN ambassador, lied about the film's causal involvement time and again. He's been thrown in jail, and as Rocco pointed out, he's not been offered even a bond, not that he would want a bond anyway. But I do want to take my hats off to Red Eye. Red Eye keeps the story alive by mentioning it on their show. Of course, they then debate about whether it's bad for the guy to have been thrown in prison. So that's always interesting as well. But we'll talk about that in a minute. I'll just say one thing. Obama was asked what he, what he, thought, about, what he thought about the hearings. He said it's not optimal. Yeah, it's not optimal. <laughs> now, does anybody know what Bosch is saying when uh, he's joking about that, about uh, Obama saying that the hearings, the Benghazi hearings, were not optimal? I'm seeing if anybody in the chat room knows what we're talking about here. Uh, apparently, Obama said of the murder. Oh, it was on The Daily Show? Bosch says that on The Daily Show, a comedy show, that when Obama was asked to, to, you know, discuss the murders in Benghazi, this atrocity, that he said it's not optimal. The murder of four, four Americans is not optimal, uh, you know. Right. And I think he was saying it in in a sort of sentence like, yeah. you know, uh, we try to protect everybody, but things happen, and yeah, well, it's know, not it's not optimal. But you expect that there's these little bumps in the road. Yeah. So the murder of four Americans, it's not the greatest thing to happen, you know. It's not. John, it's, John it's Kenny thinks it was on Letterman. Was it on Letterman? No, no, it was it was on. I remember for sure it was on the Daily Show with with John Stewart. Okay. Specifically, it was on the Breitbart. They had the whole video and everything. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. John and uh, and Bosch can have it out or yeah. whatever. <laughs> Bosch is going to look it up because he also did a cartoon about it. But you know this this language, this not optimal language. But anyway, you know the the idea that ABC is going to pick this up and then not mention this idea of the scapegoating and and. You know, I, I think that that's an essential part of the story because, again, this thing that occurred to me was that if they can blame it on a video, the likes of which rarely appears on YouTube, yeah, everybody's verifying it now. It was John Stewart. It was Obama appearing on The Daily Show with John Stewart when he said it's of not optimal. Of all places, The Daily um, Show, a comedy show, top of the... Yeah, yeah, comedy show. And John Stewart can often be good okay. at calling Obama to task, but not in this situation. But uh, you know, again, so why is it disappointing that ABC doesn't mention the video? Because I think that whole story. I'm not going to say narrative because narrative is the horrible word that our media uses to cover up the fact that our government is telling us falsehoods in a bunch of story form. But um, you know, if if you don't understand that the lies were about the role of a video in bringing on this attack in Benghazi, then you also don't understand this push of Clinton and others to say that the attacks were, quote unquote, spontaneous, that they weren't to be expected based on the types of risks that they heard already existed in the area. And that's why I think there was this push to have this video, this push to put the word spontaneous into the thing. It's like it's just saying we don't want to be blamed for our default. Anybody want to join in? 760-888-5817. You can call in and chime in on this. 
Uh, I am now going to go to the story that uh, Rocco, who was our recent caller, alluded to, which was that there was a press conference today that Jay Carney today was scrambling to help try and contain some of this fallout from the Benghazi testimony. And one thing that I heard that was interesting and kind of disturbing, and, and people in the chat room, you can let me know if you know anything about the tradition with respect to this, but apparently before the public briefing that we were able to see and get some reporting on, there was a private, what they call deep background briefing that Carney held for, or maybe some other White House officials as well, held for about a dozen or so reporters. And they were getting this background and it was off the record in effect and so that we should expect to see in the next several days some reports that come out where it's going to say something ambiguous like White House sources say X that's going to come out of that stuff. But it says, uh, and I've got right now a Fox News story, White House scrambles to contain Benghazi Gate fallout dated May 10th today in which they say that the White House held a background discussion with more than a dozen news organizations and that after that, Jay Carney weathered a barrage of questions from the media during an at times awkward White House briefing. So Fox makes it appears, appear that even though there was this background discussion that happened earlier, that it didn't have much of an effect on the reporters who participated in the press conference because he still, you know, Jay Carney was still forced to weather a barrage of questions from the media and that it was awkward, et cetera, et cetera. I, I mean, we don't know. We'll never know what that press conference would have been like without that background discussion beforehand. But, you know, Carney still during the press conference lashed out at Republicans because they he said that they were leaking the emails in an effort to, quote unquote, politicize this. Carney, you are wrong. Carney, if the Republicans are doing their job, which I question half the time whether Republicans actually do uh, care about this, but the Republicans, insofar as they are exposing this and bringing this out, they are exposing our government's failure to do its job properly and also exposing its attempt to cover up the fact that it failed to do its job. And I don't, you know, actually, I don't really care if it's political. It's got to come out. Uh, this truth has to come out. Um, Carney says that the documents that have been released, you know, that ABC News talks about, bear out what we've said all along. And, you know, what was the thing that they've said? They said that the talking points got their origin in the State Department or something. You know, again, Go back and you can parse Carney, right? And Carney put language in his original characterization of what was going on that they can use to try to cover their butts. Excuse my French. Um, but I, re I remember there was this language about that the, the you know, the briefings originated, uh, you know, uh, excuse me, originated not with the State Department, with the intelligence agencies, that it originated with the intelligence agencies and it reflected their best estimate of what was on the ground. Now, whether it actually reflected their best estimate of what was going on the ground, eh. but what they try to do is they try to hide behind the idea that, well, we don't want to put in a briefing or in talking points anything that hasn't been fully substantiated yet, a bunch of garbage. 
And I think uh, even though Carney speaks carefully at times, probably from prepared statements at times, that they're probably going to be able to get him in uh, some lies about these different things. Uh, one particular State Department spokesman, Victoria Newland, is caught in the emails pressing the CIA to scrub references to the agency's prior security warnings out of concern that they could be used against her department. Oh, the Republicans are actually going to call them to task for failure to do their job. Wouldn't that be horrible? Um, so these things are not going to be able to be denied. This idea that the White House involvement in the statement was only cosmetic and stylistic and only had to do with, you know, talking about what the outpost was, you know, what was the proper language to describe the outpost in Libya, uh, it's not going to work. Uh, this, again, I'm still looking at this Fox News story, White House scrambles to contain Benghazi Gate fallout. Uh, apparently, Senator Marco Rubio from Florida said in an op-ed Friday that the hearing raised questions about Clinton's role in the initial description of the attack as quote-unquote spontaneous. So he's on the case with this as well. I'm not usually that impressed with Marco Rubio, but I'm glad that somebody's on the case about this, you know, quote-unquote spontaneity, and particularly about the idea that the video played any sort of role in this. now, Robert in the chat room says he's going to call in. I've got a couple people with questions here, so I'm going to go ahead and answer some calls. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is uh, Dan Harris. How are you, Amy? Hi, good. And thanks for joining, and thanks for calling in. So what, what do you think about all this mess? Well, um, you know, I've got an interesting perspective, because during uh, when this was going on, I was actually uh, in Afghanistan at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the, I guess... I guess we can sort of assume that they're lies now, but the lies were so pervasive that it was coming from the top down from uh, our command in there to the point where uh, they actually raised the security level because they wanted to uh, make it seem like to us that uh, these videos can uh, tend to create violence in, in our own areas. So, it uh, you know, when we started talking to the Afghans, like, hey, you know, this video came out. We're sorry. You know, we're not the, we're not the guys that made this. Uh, we don't necessarily condone this. Please don't harm us. Uh, they were like, I'm, we're not really sure what you're talking about. So exactly. It, uh, and, and I would say that our government not only defaulted in its job to protect people in Benghazi, our government, through making statements about this video that was a complete non-issue before that, our government put our own soldiers, you, at risk. Exactly. Because it wasn't an issue. And generally when they, when, like you said, they made a big deal about it. Now it became, became an issue. It became an opportunity to become on the radar for the imams to sort of like make a big deal about it and get some people riled up. But uh, fortunately it, it didn't end up happening, uh, at least in our area. So, but uh, yeah. And I also want to comment on sort of like the what's worse, if, if that's okay. Sure. Of course. Okay, so uh, what's worse between uh, the, uh, the scapegoat uh, imprisoning guy for criticizing versus the targeting of the tea partiers? Um, it seems like uh, the first one uh, is worse uh, for the simple reason being is that the, the latter seems very much like what's been going on in terms of all the evils that's been going on in, in our society and that is factions getting up on factions and uh, this particular faction the targeting is the Tea Party uh, by whoever is in power at the time. So 
the the previous problem with targeting this guy for uh, his video is this mm-hmm. is targeting an individual, and I think it, at least, you know, my experience isn't, you know, that vast, you know, maybe 10 years of paying attention to this stuff, but this seems to be the first time that I'm aware of that it, it's, a, it's an attack on free speech. I don't, I don't know anything else that he's done besides create a video uh, that's meant to communicate information. Right, and, right. And so uh, to prison this guy for that, it seems like a, a now, now they're, they're gaining more uh, oppression more than just on taxes. Now they're targeting individuals for free speech. And that uh, seems to be a, a line that uh, once crossed is it just sort of goes downhill. Like what now else are we not able to talk about? Now, now, Dan, before we even go any further, I just don't want to forget to do this. Thank you very much for your service. And Zach in the chat room here says he also thanks you for your service. We always want to make sure to, to thank you, and especially these days where there's tremendous risk that you face in places like Afghanistan. Um, but, you know, to, to go back to this, what do you say to libertarians? Like, for example, there's uh, Andy Levy of Red Eye, which I can't understand this position, but he keeps arguing for the following position. He says, look, this guy Nakula did some bank fraud or any, you know, some other thing on which they were justified in putting him in prison. And so the fact that he was called to the attention of the authorities because of this video he did doesn't bother him, Andy Levy, doesn't bother Andy Levy at all. Because the guy deserves to be in prison anyway for these other things that he's done. Well, um, I would assume, depending on how they got the information, that the Fourth Amendment would come to mind on uh, whether or not they followed the Constitution in that regard. So I'm not really sure why they put him in prison, but based on all the, everything I'm reading, it's because because of the video. I'm not I'm not really sure. The story is, and let's take the story at face value, that he was, had committed a parole violation. And so that technically they were justified in putting him in prison on the parole violation. But, of course, again, let's, you know, this is the story we'll take at face value. The reason that he was even called to their attention, because there's hundreds of thousands of people all over the country who've committed parole violations and who could be brought in if the government wanted to at any moment. But the reason they got this particular guy is because of his video. So you're right. It's it's, it's a free speech issue because they say, look, you know, of all the people who could be got on parole violations, we're going to get the one whose message in a YouTube video doesn't, right. you know, agree with yeah. our policy it, it very much reminds me of a uh, scene in atlas shrug where uh, uh one of the state politicians that was with reardon is like yeah we don't want you to follow these rules we want you to break them right and, uh this would be an, an excellent example so now they can they can dispose of you how they want at this point exactly very, very stuff Exactly. And, and and that's the thing. It's like, you know, the, the the laws are out there. There's so many laws on which I think there was a book written that uh, every person practically commits about nine different crimes per day, given all the different <laughs> laws that are on the book. And, and, and I pretty much believe yeah. it. So, so, so <laughs> Dan, <stopped> counting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so your vote, Dan, is you think that the imprisoning of Nakul Nakula, whatever his, his name is, is, that's worse because it's going after an individual on an issue of free speech. Yes, I think that has worse implications potentially. Okay. Well, thank you very much for calling and and for listening. I do hope you'll be able to call in again. And, And again, thank you for your service, Dan. Let's see who we've got on the other line. Hi, who's this? Hello? 
Amy? Yes. Can you hear me? It's Robert. Hi, Robert. Yeah, so let me let me summarize the the question again. Uh, the question is now again the the story that came out today is that the IRS admits singling out for special scrutiny groups that characterize themselves as either Tea Party or Patriot groups. Those groups, when they were applying for tax exempt status, they had to answer all sorts of extra questions that. Other groups, liberal groups, non-Tea Party, non-Patriot groups, didn't have to answer uh, simply because of their political leanings. And this was reported not only on an AP uh, story, but also Daniel Greenfield over at uh, Front Page Magazine had a nice story on it as well, said apparently that Kennedy used to do the same thing. So there's that going on. And you say, okay, what's worse? Is it worse that the IRS singles out Tea Party and Patriot groups for the you know special scrutiny or is it worse that our government scapegoats and imprisons a filmmaker for releasing a video that was criticizing Islam what do you think well they're both bad but I agree with the previous caller that scapegoating an individual especially even having the president himself come down on that individual and the secretary of state that is just that is just so pathetic, and uh, but it's almost like you have a ten versus a nine. They're both totally evil, but I, I think you can't just you you can't take the scapegoat by itself. It was part of this failure in Benghazi, and they're just looking for excuses. So if Benghazi didn't happen, then there wouldn't be a a need for the scapegoat to to that extent. So. That is a, that's just part of the cover-up, you know, the, 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 the fact that the government is co- covering up. And because they have been able to get away, had been able to get away with every cover-up for the previous four years and leading up to the election, they, they thought and they succeeded, frankly, in, in getting this through on, on majority of the American people. So, so I, I, I can't, I can't look at the scapegoat in itself without, bringing the wider picture of Benghazi. But the IRS targeting is, is also, you know, that's also really, really bad because um, that, that just tells you, you know, if you want to form a group, just be, be just totally assume that you will, you will be singled out uh, for tax, you know, for tax uh, purposes. Now, really, I admit, Robert, that my question was a little bit of a trick question to get people involved because, yes, both of these are completely heinous and and horrible. Um, You know, both of them have to do with an issue of free speech, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, because, because, you know, in, in the one, of course, there's an individual criticizing a religion, which we should allow be allowed to do here in the United States. You know, yes, it's true that Islam itself uh, condemns to death blasphemers, but this is not the policy of the United States where we respect and protect people's right to free speech and to attack ideologies with which they disagree. So that, you know, there's that. Um, and then, of course, targeting through the IRS groups that are, you know, spreading messages with which you disagree, if you use the government to do that, then that's also an attack on free speech. This is, you know, both situations in which government is using force to inhibit speech. Um, 
you know, I, I don't know individual versus group, you know, in, in terms of actually making political progress these days, you know, in hopes of supporting good candidates in the next elect- election, et cetera, it seems like you would have to be able to form groups dedicated to education like Tea Party groups, Patriot groups, and be able to get that tax-exempt status in order to compete with the liberal groups that are doing the same thing. So I, I, I don't know if you could actually say that one is worse than the other. So really, I do think it's it's even more of a trick question. But, you know, I, I, you know it's, like, it's like everything with the government today. You feel like you're being asked, which part of your body do you want to have cut off today? You know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's awful. It is awful. Now, you you have been very outspoken about our administration's default with the atrocity in Benghazi. And this week, did you learn anything new? Did you get even more angry about it? What happened when you heard about the testimony this week? Well, what I learned new, I mean, I learned details that I didn't that I didn't know, but I didn't really learn anything new and. I think I read one article where they said nothing is new because the people who want who who wanted to not believe the story or follow the story back in September leading up to the election they still don't want to hear or follow the story today and the ones who were pushing for it or back then, who were pushing for it are still pushing for it and of course it's supposedly along party lines but I I just think that that's pathetic and I can't I can't understand how how blind people are just willing to be to just follow whatever they're told and not question things and uh, again the parallel to Nixon I mean Nixon had the decency at least to to resign which Bill Clinton didn't who did much worse uh, than Nixon did and Obama will never resign he will hang on to that you know uh, until he will be in, and I don't think there'll be any repercussions for him. Frankly, it'll be a lot of noise, and it'll it'll be forgotten. Because even Clinton, I mean, if you see him today, he's more popular today, Bill Clinton, than he was, you know, when he was president. So yeah, uh, Hillary. He, I was gonna say he's out there making tons of speakers' fees, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, why anyone would pay one penny to this guy who says I. I did not have sex with that woman, and how they could believe any word that comes out of his mouth after that is just a sad reflection on, on the culture. So, I think I think we're in real deep <laughs> we're in deep trouble here. It's 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 really bad. I, I mean, I'm happy, but but to not be too much of a downer because I'm I'm personally very optimistic in in life. At least it is getting covered, and at least some of the mainstream media is at least saying some things. So that's a little bit of a sign of progress, and maybe it's because well the election's over and he's in, and we're stuck with him for four years. So now maybe they'll tell uh, a little bit of the uh, truth about him. So, uh, yeah. but I, I, I'm not- I I really I really do wish, for instance, that ABC would have nailed the issue of the video more uh, because I think that's really where you get to the to the root of the issue. But here's a, you know, let, let's go back to the question. You, I told you the position of Andy Levy saying, oh, you know, he deserved to be in jail anyway for the parole violation. So what's the big deal? 
uh, you know, you can't really fault the government for putting him in jail because he had to be in jail anyway for the parole violation. Uh, similarly, shouldn't someone like an Andy Levy of Red Eye say, oh, well, what's the problem with making these Tea Party and Patriot groups answer extra questions in order to get their tax-exempt status because, after all, the IRS is able to do this according to who knows how many stupid, you know, regulations that they've passed or whatever. Uh, you know, there's some published regulation somewhere that allows the IRS to do this garbage. So what's the big deal? Don't you agree that those are analogous statements? Yes, I do. And the only thing... Andy Levy is funny sometimes, and that's it. He should stick. He should stay away from from opinions and just tell some jokes during his uh, during his two minute uh, drills and stuff on that he, show. He, he uh, does, you know, he does some good fact checking sometimes, and sometimes you know he's funny. But I think he's just wrong on this, and I I really would like to ask him: Do you have problems with the IRS going after the Tea Party and the Patriot groups? singling them out for special scrutiny. Because, you know, if you read the article from the AP, they said, you know, the IRS people said, well, you know, maybe they were put into this group for extra scrutiny uh, for reasons that weren't that good. And, of course, it's only low-level IRS people that are responsible for it. It could never have come from the top down, you know, no, 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 right? Mm -hmm. but, but, but then they said, well, once they were in this group, they were treated fairly just like everybody else. So I I say that someone like Andy Levy should have absolutely no problem with that because it's exactly the same issue as Nikula being singled out for his parole violation because of the YouTube video. I, I totally agree, Amy. That's a great that's a great analogy. That's absolutely perfect analogy that he would have no answer to. So while you're walking around New York City, next time you bump into him, Robert. <laughs> I should look for him on 46th Street. That's true. Uh, so anything, anything more that we can say about our correct... Can I make a historical analogy? Yes, of course. Time for a quick one. 1904, I said my first thing was failure in foreign policy, failure in domestic policy. 1904, I think, was a turning point in American history. Teddy Roosevelt, who I think is the worst president we had, uh, he had the Roosevelt Corollary to the Monroe Doctrine, which basically said America is going to get, become the policemen of the world, uh, carry a big stick. And, and all of our foreign policy has been based on that since then, not going in, declaring victory and getting out, but just these quagmires that we've been in. So we destroyed our foreign policy. Domestic mm -hmm. policy in 1904, he did the Northern Trust bust of uh, J.P. Morgan, J.J. Hill, E.M. Harriman, some of the best – uh, business minds in history. He busted them up through the Sherman uh, Antitrust Act, which before then, even though it came in in 1892, it was rarely used, but, but Roosevelt made it. And I think t today we have Obama doing the same kind of thing, a total failure domestic okay. and a total failure foreign policy. I, I agree, and we've got only a few seconds left, so thank you, Robert, for thank bringing you, that to light. I need to brush up more on my history education. He is shaming me, Robert, in the chat room. Everyone, we have come to the end of our hour here. I uh, thank you, everyone, for joining in, calling in, calling in, and also in the chat room. Just remember, if you 
like this show, come to our Facebook page. We've got Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook. If you want to comment on the show, you can go to don'tletitgo.com and comment on the post for today's show. There you can find other ways to follow me, Amy Peacock on Twitter. Uh, there's an iTunes subscription. You can follow me on Blog Talk Radio. But I really thank you all for joining me at the new time today. You can check us out in the rerun on Liberty Express Radio over the weekend. And I will talk to you all next week. Have a good evening.